Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Mohit, we call him Mo, (laughs) Bainde. Mo co-founded Carrot in 2014 to make interviewing a job. Now with $41 million in funding, which is crazy, Carrot has created the category of interview engineering. The company has conducted over 60,000 technical interviews on behalf of clients including Intuit, Wayfair, Indeed, and Pinterest. Prior to Carrot, Mo was an executive at Microsoft leading product strategy at Xbox. Outside of work, you can find Mo spending time with his wife, coaching his kids' soccer team, and skiing as much as he can. In fact, the idea for Carrot was born on the slopes of Crystal Mountain. Welcome, Mo. I love that you're going to Crystal. Like today, Tomo- you're in your ski clothes pretty oh, much. I, I am basically in ski gear right now. Are I'm you in ski gear all the time? I wish if I could be, but... You're getting ready for ski season. Here we go. Okay. Well, then I guess you can answer this. It's so ironic because I didn't know you were a skier. Mm. And my first question for you was mountains or water? Mountains. Clearly. 100%. Yeah, obviously. Um, what movie can you recite the lines to? What movie can I recite the lines to? I like to? that you've watched so much that you're like, oh my God, I know this. You know, I am so into Succession right now, so oh. I kind of like de- demovied. But Succession's uh, so good. Are I you done with it? That. No. Oh yeah, we just finished episode uh, season two, and I am just now waiting for it's, season three. It's so good. I so love like Back craziness. to the Future. I don't know if you want. I don't yeah. know if I can recite lines right now, but I've watched every Back to the Future one, two, three, nonstop, probably yeah. twenty times. Love it. What do you like to do to set yourself up for a great day? Uh, I love to work out in the morning. I'm a morning person. And so I wake up in the morning. I do a little meditation. I work out. And then I always set a little list of goals in the morning. Wow. Every day? Every day. Yeah. And I have a little list. And just, How long have you been doing that? 15 years. I try to learn from people. And I always leave here like inspired and then I never do it. (laughs) Yeah. No, no. It's just how I run my day. And Mm -hmm. then I always have a nice to have and a kind of must have every day. And then I even improvise my list as the day goes on. As I learn more information, wow. my list might change. With a four and seven-year-old on top of it. like how do Well, you... my four and seven-year-olds are waking up at, you know, seven, seven thirty. Yeah. And so I think that's 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. That's my, that's that's, that's, time. That's my me time. Nice. And um, what have you read, seen, or listened to that's shaped your life? You know, I loved Satya Nadella's Hit Refresh book um, Mm -hmm. on a number of levels. So I spent a number of years at Microsoft. And what I love about it is he took the same people Mm -hmm. and gave them a new way of thinking. And they've just now produced outsized results. And so I'm just, A, super proud to be a Microsoft alum. And I think reading that book, because there were so many names that were familiar. Yeah. And I just realized, wow, we had a certain operating manual as a company. And as a leader, you know, founder of a company, it just gave me a lot of inspiration for you can take a group of people give people a way to think about the world and achieve kind of outsized results. And I just, yeah. I, love, I want to I read that book. that book. Yeah. Maybe you can give me the cliff notes later. 100%. <laughs> what is your worst habit? My worst habit, um, I procrastinate a lot. And sometimes it doesn't sound like it. it sounds like you're like aspirational. Like, no, I how do. I want to be. I, well, yeah, but I do procrastinate quite a bit. Um, it's just kind of what I do. Well, it's and working my, and, for you. So. Yeah, Maybe it's not about habit. Intentional procrastination. Yeah. yeah. I'm very intentional about my procrastination. Yeah. <laughs> That's just me. Um, okay. Who would you most like to meet? I would love, I'd love to meet, let's see, probably Brian Chesky at Airbnb. I just love the, I, I love the product that they've built. Mm-hmm. Do you use it? I love it? the design. Yeah, we use it. Yeah. I, I'd say pre-kids all the time. Post-kids, it's interesting. We're like now discovering hotels over over Airbnb sometimes. Usually it's the other way around because people want access to like a kitchen. Yeah, but it's just easier sometimes. I think we're realizing to have the cleaning service. Yeah, throw the towel. Else. Yeah. I but, get it. Uh, I just, I think that that company and the values and how they've built it, um, are, it's really special. Yeah. yeah. Um, final question, and then we will dig deep into you. 
Um, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Extrovert. Yeah. <laughs> that was a dumb question. I'm like, uh, duh. The minute that I met you, you and I had like a love fest, and yeah. we were like, blah, 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 like fast talking, and kind of couldn't get enough. And well, it, we're both extroverts. Well, interestingly, what I would say is I do derive that six to seven a.m. is I get a lot of my energy through introversion and introspection and reflection, but I then kind of sharpshooter wise, if you will, come to the world and love creating relationships and meeting people. Yeah. But I need that me time every day. Yeah. And I've kind of had to engineer my life to to give me that time. What do you do for your workout? Uh, so we now have a Peloton at home and I do that. Um, but I think it's evolving from going to the gym to just doing kind of floor exercises. I'm a sports guy. Mm-hmm. So in my dream workouts, I would just be playing basketball, playing soccer. Mm-hmm. But I think the reality when you have two small kids is, you know, stay at home and yeah. and get some stuff And you're done. younger than me, so I'm not going to say this, but I will say this, that almost every man that I know that's getting injured mm-hmm. in their late 30s plus is from playing basketball. Is it? Oh, my gosh. I don't know what's happening, but I've had like a couple of friends have hip replacements that are young, and they, it's like playing hoops. And like playing like they're still in high school and college, and you know? Think, it's that like, think that they're still 20. Well, because when you're playing sports, and I was an athlete growing up too, it's like when you're playing sports, you forget, and then you're like still playing aggressively. So That's right. Maybe you just stick with the Peloton. I'll I'll try. I'm going to get the app, and then I will add you, and we will like Awesome. We'll, we'll, go, we'll go head to head. We'll go head to head. Nice. Um, okay, so where did you grow up? I grew up in, well, so my story is interesting. Yeah, like, I want to hear. My parents immigrated to the U.S. from India. I was born in Houston. Um, and then at the age of three months, I was actually sent to India and I lived with my grandparents till I was four. My parents were still settling in this country, kind of figuring out life. My mom at that point was doing her residency. They lived apart for a couple of years until they could kind of finally get together in one city. And so I had kind of a non-traditional upbringing. I was raised by my grandparents in India, in Bombay till I was four. Mm-hmm. And I think that was an extremely kind of just shaping, defining part of my- Do you remember my... it? Well, I remember it insofar as I went to India every single summer until oh. I was 20. So you um, definitely remember that. But do you remember the zero to four with your There are certain memories that I have with, you know, going to I have this random memory of going to preschool there and kind of getting disciplined at one point. I don't know. Maybe I was testing the boundaries and doing mm-hmm. what I do now yeah. uh, every day. Um, and so I do remember that. I also do remember I used to kind of go from uh, my one grandparent's house to another uh, every day. Um, and you know, I would actually go on my uncle's motorcycle to get there. This is way back pre helmets, pre safety. Oh yeah, you're like, what were they And thinking? so you know, a four year old just cruising on uh, a motorcycle yeah. through Bombay. And do you have siblings? I don't. I'm the only one. You're and the so only I think one. because of that, growing up, my parents put a big emphasis on you know sending me to India, getting me connected to the family. I'm super tight with my family there. I have about 20, 25 mm. first cousins. So but, you're close with all your cousins, and they're still there. They are. And so we go to India very regularly. I took my son uh, for two weeks about a year and a half ago, just me and him on a two-week adventure to India. Um, and I want you to help me design a trip there. That's like definitely on my bucket list. 100%. But I don't even know where to begin because oh, I've got I a can... lot of friends. I'm very drawn to my Indian friends and they all have you. different opinions. They're like, no, you need to go here. They're, they have strong opinions in different places. It's an amazing place. And I would say, you know, just that defining moment of being raised by your grandparents in a different country until you're four mm-hmm. and kind of the things you learn and who you become, it, I think it was very defining for me. What would you say you learned? I think how to connect to people. And I know it sounds crazy because, you know, it wasn't like I was engaging in like lots of conversation, but I think when you are out there and, you know, kind of, you know, not with your, you know, at least biological parents, mm-hmm. you are kind of forced to kind of create relationships Put yeah. yourself out look there, for connect, look for connection. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I think that that is the theme of much of my life. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, all of this has kind of paid off and it's kind of made me the person I am. But I yeah. absolutely looked for connection at a very early age. And so you then left at four and went to Houston? Yeah. No, we then, by that point, my parents were settled in mm-hmm. the country and they moved to New Orleans. And my grandparents mm-hmm. uh, actually came and there was, you know, you can imagine you leave India, you come to the U.S., and you're like, who are you, yeah. right? And so my grandparents actually lived with us uh, in New Orleans for about uh, seven months. And then that transition, I remember, uh, I do remember this, when my grandparents left after that seven months, I was very sad, and my dad took me to the movie theater to see E.T. for the oh, first time. that's just such a yeah. sad movie. It was sad, but, Oh, my gosh, you know, I e. bawled in that movie. E.T., I know, phone but, home. Um, I know, but it was it was a very vivid memory. Yeah, and so sure. they moved, and then after that, you know, Obviously, I have a great relationship with my parents, and we've been, you know, 
Yeah. Uh, we moved Are you New more, so your mom's a doctor, I'm guessing? My mom's a doctor. She was the head of uh, the emergency room for a pediatric uh, children's hospital uh, emergency room in Pittsburgh. Um, so wow. we ultimately left New Orleans and we moved to Pittsburgh and she became- For a, her job? Uh, yeah. She became a professor of medicine and ultimately um, you know, ran that department. And then my dad was a structural civil engineer and so he was focused on building bridges. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, I don't know if you know, is the city of bridges. We have 63 yeah. bridges. And so um, Pittsburgh made a lot of sense. So we were in New Orleans only for a short amount of time, mm-hmm. but Pittsburgh is, is truly home. And so um, how old were you when you moved to Pittsburgh? So we moved back- when I was four, and we moved to Pittsburgh when I was seven. Okay. Yeah. So young enough that you weren't in that weird, awkward middle school age where you're like the new kid. No. Okay. No. Uh, and, you know, and would you, I don't know that I can say this in the way that like certain people can't say like Jewish comments, but like my friends who are Indian would be like, well, okay. I was the brown kid. Like, did you feel that way? Um, I would say it was a big difference moving to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a very, um, you know, kind of older city, Caucasian city, et cetera. And so I was always the one, mm-hmm. uh, typically. I think even in high school with a graduating class of about 550 students, there was That's two. That's a in, huge you know, high it was school. It's huge. It's huge. It's the Bellevue. There were two? Uh, no, no. One. North Allegheny High no, School. No, no. I thought you were going to say there were two Indian kids. Is yeah, there was two. <gasps> it was me and this guy, Amish, uh, who now lives in Atlanta. We know we're, we're, we're brothers. Uh, yeah, um, for so, life. Yeah, for life. So we're brothers. And we, uh, yeah, we were the two Indian kids, uh, in that school. For... And where is it, were you connected still? Because you you have a really strong foundation of your culture. We do. Like this do. is just who I am. It's rooted in who you are through your grandparents and generations and even just geographically living in India. Did you feel like I want to educate people and get them to know who I am? Or were you more like I better just disappear and assimilate? Like high school is that age where people want that to assimilate. Conf- that's a matter of just self-confidence. And that I think that picks up over time. For sure. And so I think... I think if I had to look at it, you know, my assimilation, I think that changed. I think once I got to college, it mm-hmm. was much more about expressing kind of right. my Indian background and yes. Indian heritage. I think middle school and, you know, middle school is just a weird yeah. time. Middle school and it's high school, you're like, let me just, everybody, my kids are like, yeah. I'm going to wear my black leggings and white sweatshirt and tennis shoes like That's everyone right. else. That's I'm like, right. how about you wear something different? That's right. So yeah. I think, yeah, if I had to look at it, it was more assimilation early, but then mm-hmm. it evolved. And, you know, yeah. I grew up in a great neighborhood. Pittsburgh's a wonderful city. Um, you know, I kind of downplayed it for a number of years. But now every time I go back, I'm just like, wow, this is a great place to grow up. Mm-hmm. So. When you say you downplayed it because you met people in school. Well, because, you know, when you go to college and or when I went to business school. Well, because, I mean, yeah, what, I'm looking at like Penn what, State and Wharton. I'm like, you're probably meeting all these like fancy New Yorkers. Yeah, and you're absolutely. Like, oh, I'm from so Pittsburgh. When, yeah. So when I was at Wharton and I was at Cambridge in the UK and yeah. everyone's gone to London, Tokyo. And so, yeah, you know. Through my 20s, I had a, oh, I grew up in Pittsburgh. And mm-hmm. then now, um, you know, I am I grew up in Pittsburgh. I was a little bit like that, even about Seattle, to be totally Were frank. You? When I was living in New York, hmm. people were like, Alaska? I'm like, no, Seattle. Alaska. I'm like, Washington? They're like, Washington, D.C.? I'm like, no, Seattle. And they're like, is there, who's there? I mean, and I started to get like, ugh. But obviously now I'm back and I love it. And I'm really proud to be from here. Absolutely. But it's true. You get a little bit like... In cities like that or in places like that, like, you know, Wharton. Yeah. I recruited in New York, and a lot of my colleagues were from Wharton and candidates from from Wharton, and they're just from similar places, it seems like. I mean, it's funny. Even graduating, I graduated Wharton now 10 years ago, and moving to Seattle was this kind of counter- cultural- Of course. You know, You go investment banking. uh, Investment banking, private equity, venture capital. A lot of those friends are still in those major cities, but now Seattle, you know, I'm super proud to now say Seattle is home. For sure. And now when I go and kind of meet my warden, I was just at an alumni event uh, at Warden about mm-hmm. a year ago, and everyone's asking, oh, Seattle, well, the home the of Amazon, the home of Microsoft. Right you know, it's, on a, it's, it's, it's the trendy city. Yeah. So how did you choose Penn State for undergrad? That was a crazy story. Penn State chose me. So ah. I applied to 13 colleges, and I got rejected by 12 out of the 13, okay. and I only got into Penn State. All right. And that was that was your a, safety school? It was a safety school, and it was a tough one because, you know, I graduated seventh in the class out of 500-ish students. Holy crap. And How did you get rejected from those schools? I have schools? no idea. What did you, you do wrong, dude? I did something crazy. Weren't you, like, volunteering and I was doing working? Every, oh, I was doing everything. Your resume shows me, like, he's got Lazard, and he's got Lizard. the consulting, and he's got the London School of Economics. I mean, it's it's like the perfect resume. So I was assuming that your high school resume was probably similar. No, 
Zero. Um, I well, I, I mean, I had a great high school experience, but something happened. I still remember this day. It was April sixth, nineteen ninety seven. I literally remember this. And you know how back in the day, this is pre-internet email, you would get envelopes, mm-hmm. right? And so I got 12 thin envelopes that came to my house that yeah, day. Yeah, thin is bad. Thin is bad. And just one after the other, it just kind of kept coming. I was like, okay, the Duke envelope, the Harvard envelope, the Brown envelope, all these schools that, you know, all my counselors were like, Mo, you were destined to go to some Ivy League school. And Penn State was the one envelope that came back as a thick envelope. And I will say the defining moment for me, I'd, I'd say in my life, uh, was how my dad reacted at that time. You know, my dad could have said, oh man, what did we do wrong? What happened? And he just said something really simple. All it takes is one. And that's all he said. And he was like, you know, Mo, doesn't matter what the You're other 12 said. All it takes is one. Your job now is to maximize your time at Penn State. Penn State's a great school. He went and did research. You know, this is kind of a, an a Indian engineer who grew up in India, came to the, came to the country and was yeah. just so proud of the fact that I did get into Penn State, I got a full scholarship to Penn State, That's amazing. Penn State Honors Program. And he just said, look, how are, what are you going to do when you show up to campus to maximize that? And I will say that that simple philosophy of all it takes is one has been a governing thesis of kind of my life. It just takes one investor, one co-founder, one wife, one house, one everything, right? One everything. One everything. And I love your dad. I've, yeah. And is so he I've, still alive, your dad? Absolutely. I love him. I love hearing when people have these moments and when people are saying them, they don't even realize it. Your dad probably is like, I said, what? I'm sure he wasn't consciously thinking, I'm defining my son right now. Well, it was funny. We were just celebrating his 75th birthday in Hawaii and I raised this and he totally, I think he, it's not that he forgot about it, but I I, I think I just wanted to, you know, it was a big thing. I was like, hey, you know, we're spending this intentional time together. So I'm going to be intentional about thanking you for defining my life and just saying, hey, all it takes is one. And I will say ever since then, from starting a company and being f- like willing to take rejection. I'm writing it down because um, my kids don't listen to my podcast. <laughs> I'm going to be that mom. Oh, yeah. All it takes is be that one. Mom. All it takes is one. And that's what he said. It was so simple. And yeah, we, uh, we I think it's dad. been, um, you know, if I had to look at the history of starting even companies and, you know, Carrot's not my first uh, company. It's it just all it takes is that first customer, that first investor, that first employee, that first partner. And then that's what starts the fire, and you go yeah. from there. Yeah, I love that. Are you more like your mom or your dad? I'm probably more like my mom. Yeah. But my dad and I have a very, uh, I'm probably, actually, no, I am my mom. You that's are. Like, yeah, yeah, no, no, I am mom. Um, mom and I have a very, you know, we text constantly all the time. When my dad and I talk, it's always really funny. He's got this set of Roman numerals of like, Mohith, I want to cover like steps one, two, and three with you. But my dad and I have a very special relationship. Um I think it's been special from the early age, but yeah. That's, I mean, my dad, you, I don't know, I, my dad started literally a basketball league in Pittsburgh with 3,000 kids when he was an engineer. He never played basketball once in his life, but he realized I loved it, and he starts a league. This is when I was in second grade, and he ran as the, called the North Hills Elementary School Basketball League. I went back to Pittsburgh, and this is crazy. It's still going? It's not only still going, I met with the chief people officer of a potential client, and we bonded over North Hills, and she's like, wait, Mo Bainday. Wait, Bande? Like Shilesh Bande's son? Are you kidding? And I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm Shilesh Bande's son. That's who I am. And she's like, oh, great. I played North Hills Ele- like varsity basketball. I went to college. I started in North Hills Elementary Basketball League. That is, and so, I have chills from that. That's it's just, awesome. It's, it's incredible impact. And That's so I, really I am my cool. mom. I am my mom, and I respect both of my parents deeply. And, you know, it was tough, right? Leaving, leaving, the U- leaving India, coming to the U.S. with nothing, having to make that tough choice of sending me to India. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not easy. I mean, now that I'm a parent of a four-year-old and no, a seven-year-old. No, it's not easy. Um, but, you know, it was but defining. But these, these are some of the best stories that I've heard in my life and also on the podcast where there's these um, sacrifices of the generation that came before us. That's right. Okay. So $41 million in funding for Carrot. Obviously, it's on way to being extremely successful, and you could have Thank some you. sort of exit at some point. So it's like, how do you create um, gritty driven, values-based children who are being raised you probably teach them a little to, bit different you teach than them how you how were to get, You teach them how to get no's. Every day when I, you know, my son, I think about my son now who's growing up in this, oh, my dad had all of this stuff and he only sees the news and what's happening. I remind him, like literally in Put Down, which I'm the Put Down guy. I'm like the night, oh, like night, night king. Night? I'm night, night guy. Yeah. Um, I will literally tell him stories of here's no's daddy took today. Right. I got no's from a customer. This person decided to leave my company. 
here's what happened, just to remind him that, you know, things get hard and that it's not I don't do this. I'm taking notes during yours because you're like the wise. Is this like like the Calm app coming through? (laughs) (laughs) I think we we have a new business. uh, Taking no's. Taking no's, yeah. It's it's hard though. Like I mean, my kids are now teenagers, and they're really good kids, very polite, very sweet. Hundred percent. But I'm like, are you going to follow through on that? Hundred percent. I it's think hard. My, my wife and I think about all, this all the time. How do we make sure our kid doesn't think that Whistler and Hawaii and stuff is, is life? Reality. But that you know, you got to work for it, and you got to work hard. You have to work for it. Well, it sounds like your parents obviously did a great job. And how has being an only child um, shaped you? That's been very defining. I think it was very important. I I will say I missed having kind of an older sibling, especially. Um, I think I've always wanted to have an older brother. Um, I think I missed a lot of so that. You wanted to get the crap beat out of you. Yeah, totally, totally. It's kind of funny. My <laughs> co- my, my co-founder. It's kind of funny. My co-founder is one of four, and he's the youngest, and oh. so he always tells these stories about him getting. But now, ironically, he's the he's the big guy. Yeah. In the family. Is he older than you? Uh, he's only one. We're the same age. So does basically. he beat up on you to make you feel better? I I don't know. I mean, <laughs> he's definitely he can he can throw down in the gym, but um, we uh, I think being an only child. It was defining also from the same framework of creating relationships and creating connections. You know, when you're the only child and you don't have inbuilt just, oh, I come home and there's entertainment or arguments being kind of waiting for you, you got to go, go find it. Yeah. And so I think that's another theme in my life. One is taking notes, but the other one is you got to go create it. You got to go find it. Yeah. And so I think early on being an only child, you got to go create your community. You got to go create your relationships. And so I was very proactive mm-hmm. in how I created relationships and how I created friendships. Yeah. Um, and I will say, you know, my best friend, Brad, um, we've been best friends for, since, I don't know, since I was throwing dunks on him in basketball. I wasn't dunking on him, but, you know. You if, can you, dunk? If, you, if you No, I can't. But if, you listen, can if he listens to this podcast, he's going to, like, tell you a different story. Yeah, Brad will be like, but, uh-huh, um, whatever, Mo. But he and I have been best friends since, uh, you know. Uh, eighth, ninth grade. And I think mm-hmm. you cultivate those relationships and that matters. And so since you are, and we've we've discussed this, so we're both kind of like people people. And so I'm assuming you have a lot of relationships. Mm-hmm. What do you value most in your relationships? I think that authenticity and intention. I just love the real talk and just kind of what we're doing right here, which is, you know, we're not having a, let's like, you know, kind of pump our chest and like, kind of like, talk about what what's all great. I just love relationships when we can kind of get real mm-hmm. and get real pretty quick. And, and so, so how do you find great. time um, to balance, you know, you've got you've got your business, which we haven't even gotten to, yeah. um, and wife and kids and lots of friendships? It's changed, to be very honest, the number of relationships. My priorities right now, you know, stack ranked, you know, around my, my family, Myself, my business, like I don't spend my health. I don't spend much time outside of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's just changed. And it's kind of funny. I was actually chatting about this with my wife that I'm just intentional about my relationships now. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to like drop relationships or kind of forget now Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's a lot of commitments and time in life. And so I think I'm just very intentional about who, when, and how. Yeah. Um, And and probably a lot of people want to be around you. You've got good energy and stuff. You drop people in and then you're like, yeah, no, I'm going to have to cut you out. Yeah. Or you're just polite about it or you, um, you know, you put people, uh, you know, if someone wants advice about business, you think about, okay, am I the right person or can I point you to somebody else? (laughs) Um, And it's not punting, but it's just saying, well, you know. You think about that. There's a woman um, here in town that I ask a lot for kind of mentorship and she'll often say, because I, I can... Be intentional in my mind, but not put it to practice as far as how I implement my days. And so I'm constantly doing these like random favors. And I'm like, I just kind of had this weird day of nothing. Hmm. Like I didn't really do anything productive, but I did do a lot of favors. She's like, well, just set aside a day, like a month or a day a week for those kind of like coffees and random calls with the people that might want mentorship or advice. Or, and, you know, in our industry, everyone's calling for that. Everyone's calling. Everyone, hey, thinking about a new job. You don't want to blow them off. Totally. But it's hard. It's hard to balance I, it all. I do think that there's a huge untapped opportunity in kind of relationship software or relationship management software. Like it's crazy to me that, you know, the way my mind works is I have a conversation with someone. I remember like specific facts. I remember where we were. I, it's just how I'm wired. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, most people can't do that. Mm-hmm. Most and people so, don't do that. And they don't do that. So I think, you know, crazily enough, I actually think there's a huge entrepreneurial I opportunity. I completely agree. And when you start it, yeah, great. Let's, let's do let's, it together. Let's, uh, we'll Don't do talk about it too much. Okay, Sign fine. an NDA, everybody. We have a new business. <laughs> we got a new business. Everybody, don't take our idea. Yes. Um, okay, so 
did were you talk about intention? You've used that word a lot, which mm-hmm. I love. Um, were you intentional about again creating this kind of perfect resume with investment banking and consulting? Both of these companies were clients of mine: Lazard Frere, Oliver Wyman. Ironically, but it's like the perfect it's resume. Kind, it's kind of funny um, because after getting all those twelve no's and going to Penn State, mm-hmm. I had this weird thing initially around having to collect brand names. And then one of my early bosses said, you know, Mo, you don't have to do that anymore. So do what you want to do. And I think that put me on this kind of path that I am now. Uh, well, now, now you've got Carrot, which is now the brand name. Yeah, but, Carrot's a brand. But, but I now think... it's a brand. But you did you did do it. I mean, this was a great you, – you definitely did do it. I mean, those are great companies. They're great companies. I mean, there's – in between Lazard and Oliver Wyman, I did work at my professor's startup, which scaled. It was – very random. It was in the asbestos space. We would mine asbestos data. This is way back when. Sounds and my awful. girl, my yeah, my girlfriend at the time. Now, the, my wife and mother of my children said, "Mo, what are you doing? Is yeah. that the purpose that you want?" And I said, "Absolutely, you, you're right. I'm not." And yeah. so I moved to Oliver Wyman. But um, I do, yeah. Look, each of those opportunities were learning opportunities, mm-hmm. and a lot of those folks are actually involved in Carrot in different ways. And so the way I just look at life is life is just you know compounding relationships. Oh, for sure. And so. Some of those folks I work with at Oliver Wyman, you know, are investors in our business. Some of I the folks it. I've got a ton of our clients. Who I wish come I had from known. Microsoft. I would have put some money in early on. Hey. Now I'm too late. I would do some. It's trades. Never too late. So, um, when you were working, what cities were you doing these? Lazard was this in New York? Lazard was in London. Oh, London. And then okay. talk about talk about a crazy interaction. The Lazard one, uh, and it's interesting that I'm now doing a company on interviewing. Another defining moment in my life is I had an interview at the end of my internship with Lazard, William Rucker, CEO of Lazard UK, and he just looked me right in the eye, I had crushed in the internship, and he said, Mo, you're not getting a job here full time. And I said, well, why not? And he said, because you're an entrepreneur, and you just don't know it yet. And That's I said, so funny. And That's I said, my next question. And I, I said, love that. And I said, William, like what? I literally just sent him a LinkedIn note out of the blue 20 years later and said, actually, as it turns out, you're right. I am an entrepreneur, and that's literally my persona. That's who I am. And I was 22 at the time. I had, you know, just worked so hard that summer to yeah. get the get the full time job. And he just said, you know, we're going to do business together someday, sometime, you know, someday. How did we'll... he know? I think that's what good leaders do. You spot talent in in any profession, right? Even if he's an investment banker, he knows what makes an investment banker tick. And I yeah. just don't have that, right? I'm 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 wired differently. Yeah. And so William Rucker, you know shout out to him, played a great service in my life to point me in a different direction. He's actually getting the no from Lazard is actually what drove me to join my professors at their startup, which was the asbestos company. Yeah. (laughs) And then I ended up joining Oliver Wyman after that. But, you know, you know, even though the resume looks looks clean and looks great, there's always a story. Oh, I love that. Yeah, um, no. And I always talk about kind of reading the white part of the paper, not the, right. the written part. It's like the, how the decisions got made, who played those roles. And sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, I just met somebody like randomly on the airplane and we started talking. That's right. And that's how these are. It's not always the standard no. through a recruiting agency or through a company or through sending in your resume in some way. And I do think that when doors close... Other, Other doors, doors open. Open, and I love, love, love that he recognized that. When did you recognize that you had at least leadership skills? I think starting my first business. Um, so I was. Uh, this is around the time of of Lazard. Actually, right before that, uh, basically a couple friends of, of mine and I had an idea to start a magazine, and so we started a, a business called Topic Magazine. Nine uh, Eleven had just happened, and so the idea was that we were going to create a publication of like real first-person human stories. Our first issue was on war, where we had everyone from Jose Ramos Horta, the Nobel Peace Prize winner from East Timor, write an article Wow! to, you know, people like, you know, people in the army. We published an issue on food, uh, where we had Kobayashi, the guy who ate 99 hot dogs yeah. in 10 minutes, write an Coney article. Island, yeah. Coney Island. Yeah, kind of, he yeah. literally wrote an article about, about the 99th hot dog and how that felt. Yeah. And so we created a whole publication. I realized not only just leadership, but that I just love business. I love creating businesses. And, you know, it was just a fun ride. How long did you have that business and what ultimately happened? We got to 20,000 readers and, you know, 20,000 uh, 20, like readers, readership at the time. Okay. So, by the way, the business, we started with some funding from the Gates Foundation. So I went to Cambridge on the Bill and Melinda Gates, put a, created a thing called the Gates Scholarship. Yeah. And kind of rather than always studying, I basically pitched uh, Bill Gates' dad for some seed capital. Yeah. And so we got um, $100,000 from them to start the business. 
and I'll never forget, we printed our first 5,000 issues, and my business partner at the time, David Haskell, and I literally went door-to-door in London in his in our friend's car, and I just went and sold it and just took a copy of the magazine, and my prices fluctuated yeah, you're every like, time. I'll I'm like, oh, you will you deal. drive? It was like eight quid, seven quid, six quid. Oh, wait, no? Okay. <laughs> and we literally financed our next operation off of that, and we created a business model ultimately where we got sponsorships. Ultimate, yeah, I was going to say, what was the business model? How did you make it money? Was, it was subscription plus advertising, but ultimately we realized that actually selling entire issues to, to brands made more sense. Look, I'm not going to... The real talk is magazines are wonderful things to run, but terrible businesses. Like mm-hmm. the unit economics of running a magazine is nothing like running a software company or, or yeah. what have you. Yeah. And so... Um, Tell me, I mean, obviously you learned a ton there, but I was surprised when I was researching you. I knew that you had worked at Microsoft because that's where you were when I met you. But going from kind of this startup thing to a company like Microsoft. It was a huge transition. Were you like, what? I can't really picture you I in a big company. Still, I actually still can't believe I did it. I can't picture you there. And I do think that it was Seb that introduced us. Because now Seb I'm remembering. Lot. Yeah, I feel like it was because I remember meeting you at that Starbucks and... Um, and I love Seb, so I was like, any friend of Seb's. Seb's a great guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. So why how Microsoft? was Microsoft for you? You know, so I got an internship there okay. in the corporate strategy group. And what I was shocked about is Microsoft at the time, and I still think now, is just a consortium of tons of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs yeah. building products and building their visions and creating something bigger than themselves. And so... Honestly, I just showed up with literally what you were thinking, which is, wow, how am I going to do at a big company? And I just loved it. I loved, loved it. everything about Microsoft. Yeah. I think I think it's honestly a wonderful company. And so I showed up that summer. And when I took the job to come back, I literally wrote my own job description. My boss at the time, I actually spoke with him this morning, Charlie Songhurst. I put a, I put a, a business plan to him to say, send me to China. I'm going to go run our venture capital fund in China. And he said yes. And so Microsoft is the type of place that let me be highly enterprising. So from 2008 to 2010, we lived in Beijing. We created a $200 million investment fund with Chinese government. And we went and did joint ventures out there, started up new companies. That's amazing. Um, And so I got to have a very enterprising experience at Microsoft. Yeah. And then Xbox, where I then landed up. Xbox is, I mean, I don't think it gets credit enough from going from zero to 10 billion revenue. Yeah. In the time, you know, shout out to Robbie Bach, Jay Allard, yeah. Mark Witten, all of those leaders that, you know, frankly, I got to just learn from. They are amazing leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a highly entrepreneurial place. So I guess the short of it is I was never in the core Windows product right. or the core yes. Microsoft office. Right. Um, I was, you know, doing, I was doing venture investing and venture creation. And then I was doing Xbox, yeah. which was highly enterprising. Yeah. And if I think about it now, so many of my colleagues from Xbox, um, you know, have become entrepreneurs or leading companies. It's just, it's that type of place. Yeah. And that's when, when I read Hit Refresh, it was just, it was honestly, ironically refreshing because I just realized, wow, it's getting its old mojo back. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just this, you know, DNA of, of people that are coming back. Yeah. I love that. And so did you, when you were there have a pain point around interviewing engineers? Yeah, that's how the business literally started. Because that's when I met you. That's what I remember you being like, this is a pain. So and I was like, yes, indeed. So it's funny. My mentor, Sarah Clemens, she's now CEO of, of Twitch. She was my boss at, at at Microsoft. She made this great comment. You know, I'm realizing through this conversation, there's just vivid moments. William Rucker, my dad, Sarah Clemens, right? And Sarah yeah. Clemens said, Mo, you spend more time recruiting and hiring than actually doing your job. So why don't you just make that your job, right? Yeah. It was so simple. And she just Because you me. enjoyed it or because I just love you it. were better just, at it than no, everyone else? Because I just love it. Yeah. I just love connecting people and I love hiring and I love interviewing. And so I was constantly thinking about new ways to hire, new ways to interview. It's just what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way, you know, Carrot kind of unfolded was we were hiring 400 engineers at that time into what now became the HoloLens, mm. uh, which is Alex Kipman's group. And- all the business problems we're facing, you know, the sheer amount of time that our engineers were spending interviewing versus coding was significant. Mm-hmm. Very few of those engineers were trained in how to be good at interviewing. You mm-hmm. know, it's not your day job. And on top of that, you know, at that point in time, now this is five years ago, Google was scaling up here, Amazon. I mean, as you can tell in the Seattle market, it's totally scaled up. Mm-hmm. It was just more competitive to get to talent. And so still it was. Is. it still is. And so it was crazy to me of why are we asking candidates to take time out of their day on a Monday 
to make time for us as Microsoft? Why aren't we meeting them and treating them as customers and interviewing them on a Sunday? And then I realized that, you know, we couldn't do that. And at that same time, my co-founder was doing kind of research on job experiences and kind of candidate processes at the Gates Foundation, put our heads together. And that's the infamous Crystal Mountain trip where we were skiing. So your beds um, and you're out skiing. Yeah, we were out skiing. And we were frankly looking for, I mean, Jeff had some crazy ideas around like saving the U.S. post office, which I'm glad we, yeah. didn't, we didn't pursue. But we're out skiing and talking about, wow. Here's this just huge problem, right? If you think about it, every company is becoming a software company. Every company has to hire engineers. Because of that, every company has to interview. And interviewing is the thing that connects people to opportunity. And yet it's super haphazard, unprofessional, um, and very time consuming. Mm -hmm. And so how do we change that? And I think the thing about Carrot, what's interesting is we, we focus on a very specific moment in time. This whole conversation that I'm realizing you and I are having has been about key moments in life. Mm -hmm. Interviewing is a moment. Right? Oh, for it, sure. It is, Everybody remembers that. It, it is the moment that you're like, hey, I really want this job. How is that moment going to go? Is it going to be professional? Is the interviewer going to show up on time? Am I going to be asked fair questions? Is it going to be enjoyable, predictive, fair, our, our mission? And I think you know, nailing that moment and making it very professional is at the core of Carrot because I think our, our thesis is that if we make that moment, you know, something that something that works, then everything else works from that. Mm -hmm. And so tell me how it exactly works. So a company like some of these companies that I mentioned, you've got a lot of um, obviously kick-ass clients. So an Intuit, mm -hmm. they need to hire engineers. So they partner with you. Correct. And then your team does the interview engineering. So what we do is we've basically back, we've made interviewing a job. We call it interview engineering. So just like you have back-end engineers and front-end engineers, we like to think we've created the profession of interview engineering. Mm -hmm. So we have a global network now of software engineers all around the world who we have equipped to be professional interviewers. Mm -hmm. We call them interview engineers. And so the way the model works is into it recruits the candidates, mm -hmm. and they send us, let's say, 4,000 candidates, right? 5,000, 10,000. Our interview engineers then interview those candidates using Carrot's questions, our platform, our software. And then we're the company that tells Intuit, hey, of the you know 100 people you sent us, here's the 10 who are the most qualified you know, for the job technically. And then the ROI of that is super simple. You know, We have saved Intuit a massive amount of developer time. A ridiculous amount of time. And on top of that time, because interviewing is all we do, You know, we've now done over 60,000 interviews, it's the only thing we do. Are you calling on behalf of Intuit when you're calling? No. We, well, the way it's framed to the candidate is Intuit you know, really values kind of uh, taking out bias out of hiring, have a flexing, having a flexible candidate experience. We've partnered with Carrot. They're our trusted interviewing partner. Mm. And Carrot is going to conduct this interview with you. Mm -hmm. um, and so it is a Carrot interview engineer who is conducting that that interview. Mm -hmm. um, and so the way it shows up to the candidates, okay, great. Intuit cares so much about their hiring that they're going to partner with, you know, with the world's leading interviewing firm. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get an experience that's on my time, right? We interview 24-7. So 60% of candidates choose to interview on Sundays, Saturdays, Friday nights, Saturday morning at 10 is by far, that's like go time at Carrot. Yeah. That's when a candidate wants to be interviewed. And so the value prop to the candidate is I'm going to get an interview engineer that's professional, shows up on time, is there to kind of help me show, put me in the best like light to Intuit. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we do. And so what about, because I mean, obviously we're having to deal with this also, and our biggest practice area is our engineering team um, as far as our recruiters. But we could have somebody that doesn't pass the coding challenge at one company, and then they get hired at another. So is there a standardized, like, hey, we just know because we're engineers that this person's going to qualify? No. So we've basically built the software that we have built is all around both empowering our interview engineer to get the most signal, right? But also the software we've built is around, we call it alignment engineering. So we've built a whole discipline around how to do job analysis on what companies are hiring for how to connect that job analysis to the right interview formats. Mm -hmm. We then track on-site notes and on-site kind of details, and we kick that back to our interview, and we're constantly refining the interview so that it's more and more predictive. And so the way to think about our, us is, as a platform, we build content, but then we calibrate and curate that content by client. And so the mm. framing back to the candidate is like, look, we've partnered with Intuit. We've conducted thousands of interviews for Intuit. This is grounded in kind of a deep understanding of what Intuit needs. And I think the most interesting thing that we've been able to do with our clients is actually shift 
their perception of what they need, right? Every client starts with, hey, I think I'm hiring a backend engineer, and I think they have to be great at data structures, algorithms. They have to be great at everything. And I think what we're realizing is we play this really interesting role in the value chain where we can kind of go back to the client and say, hey, based on who you ultimately hire, ultimately based on how they perform in the job, actually it turns out that those data structures and algorithms, they're important, but actually it turns out that these other five things are important. And so mm. let's go redesign the interview. And so our product looks closer to SaaS, which is constantly evolving, constantly serving, constantly improving, than kind of a monolithic, hey, you know, here's an interview and good luck. Mm -hmm. um, and so the very nature of our product is to constantly evolve and get more aligned and get better. Mm -hmm. and, we've, that, and that's kind of how we've built it. And the companies that you mentioned are larger companies. Yes. Do you work with small companies? We do. I mean, is it just like cost prohibitive or like, no, can no. we partner with you? Shauna, we'll, we'll start a business together and we'll partner together. But well, here... I'm just saying, like, in general, everybody's trying to save time. I mean, at the end of the day, as recruiters, I'm like, you know, my parents and I will sit down and be like, how do we scale your, my business faster? Yeah. And it's like, just hire more recruiters, save them more time. I mean, they can't work harder, they're working their tails off. And, so it is just trying to figure this out. Like, how do we save these candidates' time? Because one of the things that I'm constantly consulting on is the candidate experience, too. Mm -hmm. It's crappy. We do, too. It's yeah. crappy. And companies, I'll meet with CEOs, and they're like, it's my most important job. Yeah, but they don't. And then they don't no, prioritize they don't. it. And right. I'm like, yeah, you you know, didn't get back to the person for three weeks, kept them waiting, had them come in for four hours, do a take-home, and then they never heard from you again, and it's putting my brand on the line. On the line. Yeah, so... At a high level, I mean, the reason I'm, you know, excited about Care is our our total market is huge. Interviewing is ubiquitous. So just like Amazon Web Services is ubiquitous, every company could use cloud. Every company interviews, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's a, you know, a small company hiring one engineer or IBM, right? Mm -hmm. So I think we've had to, in a situation where we've got kind of a ubiquitous utility, if you will, get really focused on who we're going to serve. Um, we basically have two offerings in the market now. We do have the startup offering. And mm -hmm. then we have the enterprise offering. So the enterprise offering doesn't just include the interviews. It actually includes a full platform where we configure workflows of those interviews in their environment. We help with things like tracking candidates over time. We give benchmarking and analytics. You know, we spend a ton of time with CTOs of these large enterprises answering questions like, how diverse is your funnel? How much are you paying your engineers? How good are your engineers relative to your competitors? Right? So there's an entire That's amazing. consultative layer and platform layer. But for startups... So if you are a series A, B, C, D company, you probably aren't at the stage where you need, you know, carrot platform and carrot consultation. What you really need is just carrot interviews. And yes. so we've literally created a startup offering, which we started about 18 months ago. We have a woman, Claire Tokum, who's running this business now and is scaling it um, very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would say at a high level, if it is a startup, we can absolutely help them. The offering, though, is much more kind of I would say standardized interviews to say, hey, you know, startup, do you want a world-class machine learning or world-class data engineering interview? Whereas for an enterprise, we're going to do the things I was talking about earlier, where we're going to constantly tweak that interview so mm -hmm. that it configures to their environment. Are there certain roles that you'll partner on or all engineering roles? You know, I'd say our core, you know, is back end, front end, like all the, all your typical roles. Yeah. Um, there are certain roles, like, you know, I think that are, if there's, if it's hyper niche and you need some very specific graphics engineer at NVIDIA, probably not. But, you know, the 80% to 90% of roles at a company, we can we can service. Yeah. And I'd say our, you know, our, our kind of core roles, I get this question a lot of, hey, is Carrot just really good for university or early career? It turns out 70 to 80% of our volume are engineers between 5 to 15 years of experience. And so, the, interestingly, those are the senior engineers that actually really value, oh, I'm getting interviewed on a Sunday. We give every candidate no questions asked redo. Not happy with your carrot interview? Think you could have done better? Fine. You're the customer. We'll give you a new interviewer, new interview engineer, new day, new question. Mm -hmm. Those and are these interview happen. engineers um, doing this as like a side job or is this their full-time gig? That's changed over time. So I'd say when we first met four years ago, it was side job. Mm -hmm. And now it is, I'm building an interviewing business on Carrot's platform. It's awesome. I think you were, when I first met you, doing some sort of video component. We are. And so is that um, also include, I mean, how do you get around the, um, well, how do I? GDPR and like all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so first of all, every candidate gets kind of an ability to say, do I want to be videotaped? Do I not want to be videotaped? It, it's just, you know, yeah. 99 point. I think we literally, I saw the stat today, like literally it's like less than 0.1% actually interestingly disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, our sign up rates are like north of you know, 90%. So again, you build a flexible candidate responsive experience with a professional interviewing mm-hmm. and they want it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think as it relates to the platform, we're doing it all live over video. There's pair programming. And so what the client gets back is a video of the entire interview. It's fully transparent. It's auditable, right? A benchmark report where we will compare that candidate to every other candidate we've interviewed, a recommendation of how to proceed with the candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that we're, honestly, Sean, we're just getting started, right? I think for us, as we think about where the roadmap could go, mm-hmm. Ultimately, it kind of comes back to, you know, finding what are those unique strengths about candidates? How do we tell their story? Um, And so I think as we grow as a company, our vision ultimately is to, you know, get the most adaptive and most highest signal out of that interview as possible. Yeah. This is so interesting, this timing of this conversation, because when I was in the business, I've been in it since a long time, <laughs> really long time. Um, it's a good business. So. It's a great business. Yeah. So for 25 years, and I think maybe 15, maybe 20 years ago, the CEO of my first company wanted to launch something together, and he wanted to call it, um, I think it was called something like Prove It or something. We wanted to basically stamp candidates. Hmm. It's like this person has been signed, sealed, and delivered. Validated. We, we can validate this yeah. person. Yeah. And at the time, there was no videoing. I mean, we didn't have access to video. And there was all sorts of legalities around it and all sorts of um, limitations. But we just felt like it was something that could be scaled. You know, it's funny. That seems like that could be something cool for you. It to, is. To it just is. be like, okay, this is carrot certified. And then I could know okay, guys, interview the person, and I feel confident that you can send them and we can save our clients time. If I could say to my clients, hey, we've done the sourcing. Like, that's half the the problem is that when you're thinking of all the steps of recruiting, there's the sourcing, the process, the interviewing, all of it, the closing, the onboarding. Yeah. So it's trying to figure out what their their pain point is. Yeah, and the other issue in that is not only there are a lot of steps, but because there are a lot of steps, there's a lot of ability for a lot of signals in those steps, right? So think about the typical company. They have, say, a a client has a 1,000 engineers. Those 1,000 engineers might be interviewing a 1,000 different ways. So you suddenly have a 1,000 times a 1,000, and your signal is all over the place. Or a 1,000 different ideas of what the job that they need. Exactly. Or or the worst is when they put somebody in the loop that's unhappy. That's exactly right. (laughs) That's unbelievable when that happens. You're like, really? Really? Why are you doing this? And so I think what we've learned, something really simple, but because we've made that one moment in the value chain of recruiting Mm -hmm. very qualitative and quantitative and consistent... We can measure every other part of the process. You know, how efficient is your sourcing? How efficient are your recruiters? How good are your on-site loops? Those are all questions that our clients can now answer because they can use the carrot data um, as the benchmark. And I think that was the unlock for our business to go from, hey, we do your interviews to Mm -hmm. you're building your entire interviewing process and you're running on carrot. And that is ultimately, when I look at us as a platform company and where we're growing, um, you know, Ultimately, I want every company to to interview the carrot way. Yeah, and and I think that that's kind of where we're where we're progressing. Well, you'll do it if anyone can do it. I hope so. You're definitely going to do it. But I have a couple more questions about carrot from like backtracking to understand um, Jeff. He's your co-founder. Just my co-founder. Jeff was the um, chief of staff at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to Melinda Gates, and he um, did that for four years. He's got a very interesting background, kind of like me. He Took a took a gamble, went to China for three years, and uh, right out of undergrad, didn't take the job at Goldman Sachs. Jeff actually got the job. I I got told no from Lazard. Jeff got the job at whatever some fancy bank. Yeah. Hopefully, but, he's uh, had a no in his life. I, oh, I, oh, Jeff's definitely had no's. But then he, um, you know, moved over to China and then kind of found his way to Seattle, and here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm always interested when I meet people with co-founders. Is it a chicken and egg thing where you're like, I just know I want to be in business with you, or like, hey, let's come up with an idea, or hey, you've got this skill set and it's opposite of mine, so they complement one another? Or how many conversations do you have question. about your your vision? Are we on the same page? Money? All of it. Like, when do those you conversations know, happen? They happen all the time, and they don't stop happening. And I think, you know, we use this analogy at Carrot, and I'll, I'll describe my relationship and how we've grown through the laps of our company. We, we like to say we're in lap four of Carrot. Mm-hmm. So lap one was, will anyone buy this crazy idea? 
Lap two was, oh my God, we sold it. Will it work? Lap three was, okay, if Jeff and I aren't in the room to sell and operate it, will it work? Now we're in lap four, which is scaling, right? Mm -hmm. So I think to have a really effective relationship with a business partner, co-founder, whatever you want to call it, it starts with shared values. And so I think Jeff and I have a very simple shared alignment on hierarchy. We both value our families. We both value our health. And that actually comes first. And I think we're very intentional about leading our company with that. And then we both believe jobs are obviously very important and our business is very important. But I think part one is that shared understanding of how we're going to interact as a team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if something is up with my kid one day or something's up with his kid or my wife needs me. Oh, yeah. And that's just how we roll. And, you know, I think a lot of relationships, if you don't have that shared value system, Jeff also has an extremely strong, I like, he's got super tight relationship with all of his brothers. His mom and dad are awesome. I've spent time with them in San Diego. So I think part of that is that family structure. I think the second thing is how to make good decisions, right? So we both kind of come from the cloth of, you know, I know now SoftBank companies are getting lots of press of just kind of going nuts. Look, we want to grow our business and grow it really fast. But, the but right I, think, way. I think we're also, though, both in it to build, like Carrot, we've always talked about building a company that's bigger than ourselves. Carrot for me is not the Jeff Moe, you know, show. It is a, it's a vision, it's a mission that's bigger. And I think finding a business partner that I aligns to that, mm-hmm. where you take out ego and you solve for the business as a whole and your vision as a whole, that is hard to find. And like, look, I would be, I, you, the real talk is obviously there's tensions and things that come up. It's just natural relationships. But in some ways, it's not that different than having a family, right? Like my wife and I actually spend a lot of intentional time, back to that word intentional, saying, how do we want to partner? And like now the Bain Day family is just bigger than ourselves. Carrot is bigger than ourselves, right? And so I think if you can find co-founders, I mean, for anyone else trying to start a company that has shared values meets shared kind of like egoless, like in service of. I mean, if you think about Carrot as a company, we are in service of, we're a solutions company. And so it kind of makes sense that Mm -hmm. you've got two folks who came from those backgrounds. And so it's very unique. But I would say we reorient and like rethink, you know, every year, every year and a half on great, like where are we at in the journey? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, what are we focusing on next? Yeah, it's fun, man. It sounds like uh, you're it's honestly. A blast. I'm how, having how a blast. How was the um, How was the fundraising process for you? I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, it sucks, but I can see you like really. I love fundraising. Enjoying it. Oh, oh, oh I totally. Knowing Je- your Je- personality, I'm like, Je- I can see you rocking. Yeah, and, fundraising. Jeff, and Jeff gives me kind of. It's so funny because he knows. Like, I, I want to go do knows, this again. Yeah, I want to go fundraise. Um, uh, fundraising is really fun until you get to a certain moment in the process when you're in the courting process of, hey, our business is great. You're great. We're great. You're going to come see us, et cetera. It's great. You get very exposed when you send your numbers and your data and then they go into the data room, air quotes, um, and then you wait, right? How long do you wait? You wait, you know, it could be a day, it could be an hour, it could be a week, or it could be our partners at Tiger Global who are frankly awesome. And they just showed up to Seattle and said, great, we're in, we're Mm -hmm. interested because they'd already done their research before meeting us. Didn't they also invest in Kabir? Yeah, Shahani. Yeah. Yeah, Kabir's an investor in Carrot as well. But fundraising, I think fundraising is fun, but ultimately Carrot, you know, we're trying to build a business Mm -hmm. and back to the whole kind of, you know, Silicon Valley mentality. I think part of what's amazing about building and being an entrepreneur in Seattle is you get to build companies and like build businesses. Carrot's got a lot of legs to be a real kind of longstanding, hopefully large and important company. Um, and so for me, fundraising is a means to an end. But every day when we close that round, you know, we've now closed three rounds. That's just the beginning. And to mm-hmm. say, okay, great, time to get to work. You've Let's raised go. a ton of money, though. I knew it because I had read it. And then when I was researching, I was like, I, I just felt proud. Because when you're friends with someone and you see them and they're like, I have this idea. And you you were so, like, full of life around this idea. Yeah. That I was like. I don't even know what, what idea was it. But I it was like, it was, kind yeah, of like, related. I think this is a pain point. Yeah. It was a, it was a hunch. the fact that you actually did it is really cool. A lot of people want to do it, but they don't have the courage or the you-know-whats to do it. Well, the thing about fundraising, and this comes back to all it takes is one, it just takes one. Yeah, so, you, you know, also in, got baller investors. Well, because, you know, but in the seed round, um, I got how many no's? 14 no's in that. Not that but you were we got, counting. Yeah. But I got, oh, yeah. Every 14 no's. I'm like, okay, great. You don't want to put money in our company? Fine. Uh, but 8VC took a bet. In our A round, Parker Burrell, our investor at Norwest, he took a bet. 
Uh, Scott Schleifer, partner at Tiger, he took a bet, right? So I just think all it takes is one. And mm -hmm. I think the key thing that I've learned in fundraising is back to what makes co-founder relationships work. Same thing with investor relationships. You know, we got over the line with Tiger Global when we were chatting with Scott just about, you know, family. And, you know, he negotiated the deal like literally mid-dinner and a family dinner and then he had to leave because... His family needed him. I love that. Yeah, and you're literally, like done and done. Please, say no, yes. like I want to be in business. No, with like you. literally when he did that, Jeff and I, because he kind of left, and Jeff and I were just on kind of mute with each other. We're like, okay, let's go do business with this guy. Let's just lock it in right now, right? And that I think if you're clear on what you solve for and what you look for, you just know. Yeah. Because all it takes is one. Yeah, I'm guessing that you probably are finding time to read, or no. Thinking, More so now than yeah. I did previously. I think my entire relationship with myself has honestly changed. I think four years ago, you know, when we were first meeting at that coffee shop and this idea, so obsessed about just the core kernel of the idea that I couldn't stop not working. And now I'm like, oh, no, I need to work out. I need to read. Um, or do I just, both at the same time. Do both at the same time. So I'm, <laughs> I was just reading the, I just finished the originals this morning by Adam Grant. I love everything that Adam Grant writes. Okay. So I'm that obsessed with Adam Grant. I just heard him speak. Um, in person, and then I listened to him on a couple podcasts. I love him. And I have a few of his books that I'm happy to... It sounds like you already have them, but there was one that he gave me. Give and take? Me. Give and take. Yeah, that's my book. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we have a couple uh, must-have reads at, at Carrot. Give mm -hmm. and take, Who, Mindset. These are all companies that when you join our company, we kind of give you a copy. But I think oh give, and take, give so and take... So I have them all. We have a book club, but I don't, I'm the one in the company who doesn't read them. Are you taking down another note yeah. here? Yeah, okay, because I, I have it. this book. Give and take. But great. I just put it on the bookshelf. I didn't read it. Yeah. No, the main... I'd say the the thing I probably read every day is the information. Is Mindset is the Schweck or whatever. Carol Schweck. Carol Schweck. I can't pronounce her name. Schweck. Yeah. It's a good book. Yeah, I've heard that. I don't know. I just am like, I, like ugh, on the reading. I know. <laughs> I listen to podcasts. That's you listen what I to do. podcasts, yeah. Yeah, that's what I do. And so I don't honestly, to be transparent, I don't read nearly the amount that I would probably like to read, but yeah. I love business books. I'm kind of, you know, I love yeah. leadership books. It's just, yeah. I love, I actually love personality books. I'm, the next book I'm going to read is the Bob Iger book, the the Disney CEO, just about his learnings. Bob Robert Iger. Iger. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, so I just love books. So as you can tell, I love the Satya Nadella yeah. book. I love, you know, so I just like reading my favorite yeah. book of all time. This is super back. Shout out to India was Business Maharajas. It sounds completely crazy now, but Business Maharajas is the story of Ambani, of you know, Hero Honda of all of the entrepreneurs in India that have built great businesses. Oh. And it's like literally a book. And I love short stories. I do So too. in business model, it's written by a woman named Gita Piramal. And I, like I can't literally, write that fast. So you'll, like, you'll text that to me I later. will, but every 20, 30 pages is about a different Indian entrepreneur and about their story. Oh, I and love And they it. all have, by the way, they all have tons and tons of no's. Tons. Oh my God. Ambani starting his business, which is now Reliance Industries, largest company, thousands of no's. And so, you know, That's you read the that book and you're like, let's let's go. The theme of grit. Let's go. And so two more questions. One yes. is, um, how have you changed since becoming a dad Yeah. to your boys? Uh, I've got a boy and a girl. A boy and a girl? Yeah. Um, oh, my God. You're such a... I, yeah, for some reason, I was jackpot. picturing two boys. No, so my girl... And I can just my girl's, you melting as a... My girl's four. Oh, yeah. And my boy's seven. Okay. Um, how pictures. have I changed... Um, back to intention, I'm much more efficient with my time. So yesterday, Celtic was having their soccer tryouts. Me and, you know, I was like literally out two hours getting rained on watching my boy try out for the team with Gatorade in hand. And, you know, I'm very focused. Oh, that's I, oh, I'm, I love sports. So I was watching Jay and just play. And I'm like, you go, man. That's awesome. And so I was giving him the talk beforehand. So I think highest level, how has it changed me as a dad? It's just being very focused and realizing that quality doesn't equal quant like quality doesn't equal like effectiveness. And so I just I think the way I structure my day has totally changed. Mm -hmm. um, I love doing either morning drop off or pickup. It's just what I do. And so my whole thing is if you're going to start a company, do it by your do it the way you want to do it. You know, mm -hmm. the whole reason in some ways to not be a corporate executive and to be an entrepreneur is to say, great, I'm going to do family dinner every night from six to eight because that's just how we do. And that's what you do. And that's I think great. it's, I think do it's hopefully, cook? do I cook nowhere near at the caliber of my wife? So oh, I well, will not, good. yeah, I'm a short order cook is what I would say. So I'm the morning breakfast guy because nice. I'm the morning guy. Fried eggs. So I'm doing, you know, eggs, pancakes. pancakes. Yeah. Yeah. I got short order cook down. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And so my, my um, final question is what fuels you? Creating relationships and connecting people. That's just what I do. So ever since that time in India to... 
you know, kind of be out there creating relationships from the start. I just love connecting people. It's just what you're I do. You're good at it. Thank you. It's good that you're making, you're 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 going to get paid for it. That's what I was joking. <laughs> I'm, like, well, I'm like, oh my god, I'm making money doing what I do. I know, and and to me, interviewing is nothing about finding what's great in people and then connecting them to opportunity. And the fact that I just get to come into work every day, sometimes I can like pinch myself. I'm like, oh my god, this is yeah. kind of a oh, it's uh, the best. Amazing. It's the, but we can't tell everybody so, else about it. Yeah, but it, so it that's is what the best. I do. It's the best kept secret. And you're fueling the economy, so you're also helping the world. So it's great. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So fun. Thank you. This is fun. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. And follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com. To provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.